Greetings, everyone. Happy April Fool's Day, and welcome to the Football Outsiders Thursday live stream for today. Uh, tomorrow's April Fool's Day, so excuse me, for uh, March 31st. But I am Panama Mike Tanier wearing my April Fool's hat. Aaron Schatz is on vacation. I believe he's in SpaceX. He's going up to uh, orbit. I believe that's where he's at this week. And with me is, of course, the uh, the end tackle and uh, wing back for the 1924 um, Dayton Triangles, Brian Knowles. <laughs> <laughs> You're about the right size for a, a NFL player that era, too. Yeah, definitely. And with us also is the president of the Tiger Woods fan club, J.P. Acosta. How are you doing? Doing great. Actually wore this hat last week when I was on vacation and won in mini golf. So clearly the Tiger Woods is rubbing off. Magical powers. Excellent. You've been living the life of Riley. You were at the Super Bowl. That's where you got the hat, right? During the Super Bowl week. Yep. I was at Super Bowl week. We covered the Genesis, Genesis Invitational, which is hosted by the Tiger Woods Foundation. I was there. Tiger Woods was there. I got to uh, watch him do an interview, which was really cool. And then he had his little pro shop set up. So I saw this hat and I'm like, I got to buy it. That's tremendous. You got to like Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald and Tiger Woods on the course of a week. Yes. Yeah, the, the whole trifecta, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, and where'd you go on vacation? I went. Um, so me and my family had, they had a little field trip where they were going all, all around the state of Florida. So we went to Eatonville, which is where Zora Neale Hurston is from. We went to St. Augustine. We went to Daytona oh, wow. Beach. We went to back home to Gainesville, and then we went to Treasure Island and Madeira Beach. That is a really fun place. It's like literally an island. So I'm definitely going to go back. I was in Treasure Island back in the 90s. A lot of fun out there. That's that's like the west coast of Florida, right? Yeah, it's west coast. It's like 30 minutes out from Tampa. You're in Tom Brady country. Oh, boy. I should have gotten some like avocado toast while I was out there. <laughs> you should you you're you're not even a millennial. You're beyond millennial. You're you're a zoomer, but you could should have gotten some avocado toast. And uh Joey Sucks is right. Brian Knowles is joining us from the Mad Max timeline. Not to me in a universe, but I find one that makes sense. It is in fact jaunty hair hat day because we're celebrating April Fool's Day, possibly because I forgot what date this was, but <laughs> This will be able to you, you might be listening to us tomorrow. And if you are listening to us right now on March 31st, please leave a comment in the chat. Talk to us. If you're listening to us afterwards on April Fool's Day or beyond, leave likes. Do all that other thing you're supposed to do. Whatever you do with podcasts. I'm not sure. I know I'm supposed, I'm supposed to click like. I do it frequently for the podcasts I listen to. Please do it for us. And my first question to you guys is, since April Fool's Day is coming, smash your trash. April Fool's Day. Like it. Love it. And have you ever been involved on the wrong side or the right side of a really epic prank. JP, I'll start with you. Oh, I love April Fool's Day. Uh, growing up with siblings, this was like our, our little get back day. So all the bad stuff we did to each other, and I'm like I said, I'm the oldest of five. So all the bad stuff that we did to each other throughout the year, this was get back day. I've been doused with water waking up. I've been uh, tricked into thinking that school was on one day and it wasn't. I've been tricked into thinking school wasn't on a day and I ended up being like an hour late. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, I love April Fool's day. Like I said, I think the funniest prank that I've been on the wrong side of is I was doused with water, wake up. Uh, I was, I think my mom and my two younger brothers, they got a, a little big old pot of water and then just 
right on me when I was waking up, and I'm like, this isn't this isn't like even a prank at this point. No, that's, that's <laughs> like, just, that's just screw you. Get wet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, you Brian, I I think you have some something coming, don't you? I, I do. I actually my problem with the Fool's Day is that so often it's just like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just lie on Twitter nowadays, and that, that counts as an April Fool. Right. My favorite April Fool's jokes are the ones that are way, way over-engineered bad jokes. I think those are the best kind of April Fools. And in accordance to that, tomorrow, live and and exclusively on footballizadis.com. Two years ago, we did the dynasty list, a list of the best teams in NFL history. Yes. Last year, we did the anti-dynasty list, the list of the worst teams in NFL history. Right. This year, we have the dynasties of mediocrity, the most average teams <laughs> in NFL history, carefully sorted out, looking at record, DBA, everything involved. We're going to find the teams that hovered around 8-8 eight and eight for the longest period of time. There's going to be like... bad joke from last year's uh, podcast, which like so many jokes has festered, and I just had to do it. There's gonna be like seven Jeff Fisher teams on there. I cannot. I feel it. I cannot Jeff, wait. It'd be very good. The, the Jeff Fisher's biggest problem is that he switched franchises in the middle of his seven and nine run. You know, he went from the Titans to to the Rams as a coach. He is, of course, the the patron spirit of 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 the uh, dynasties of mediocrity. But there are plenty of other contenders throughout history. I mean, any team with Carson Wentz or Kirk Cousins on it is a very good chance to uh, to get on this list somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were previewing a little bit before we went on air, and we're going to see some recent teams on the all-time average list. We're we're going to see my favorite all-time average team, the Vikings, for example. Yep, the the the, the current Vikings do in fact crack the list. Not near the top, but they they because it's only been a five or six year run, but they they're they, they've got a strong start to a long uh, epic uh, career of mediocrity. We have the, the current Colts have begun the, on that path. We have seen the uh, the the current the Washington franchise as, as they've been frantically searching for a quarterback. They're on this list. We also have things like the uh, the '80s Seahawks, who went from expansion team to adequate team, and that really tired them out, and they stopped improving for a decade and a half. <laughs> Lots of great, great, terrible teams in the past to talk about. Uh, yeah, and the real useful titles that uh, Jeff Fisher and Norv Turner should dominate this list. You talked about Jeff. Is Norv on there as well? No, uh, not as a head, not as a coach. There he not as a head coach at least. He, he appears in some other places, but his head coach teams don't actually do it because he wasn't quite good enough to hit mediocrity. He was a little <laughs> bit below that. Yeah, you know, this sounds like you lost a bet, honestly, Brian. And and you spent days on this, right? Yeah, yep, yep, definitely. You know, had had spent days trying to figure out exactly the, the right ways to rank to weight record versus variance versus all the, this is a, I, I want to stress this is an actual project these when I, I didn't just make some numbers and stick them up there no. this is actual research it's just actual research in uh in defense of a really stupid idea again the best april fool's joke yeah the joke will be on you because football outsiders will promote it with exactly one tweet Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. We will all retweet the hell out of that and make sure it make sure you check that out, folks. I'll just leave you with one quick um, uh, April Fool's joke. You're right. I've been fake sheftered in my time. I think we've all been fake sheftered, et cetera. That's kind of corny. I've written some things that were, you know, funny at the time, but that's so back when I was a teacher, one time a student went into uh, a vice principal's office, told this vice principal that her car's lights were on in the parking lot, asked her for her keys. This vice principal handed a student, handed a 17-year-old <laughs> her keys. He then went out, 
drove the car about three blocks into the neighborhood, parked it in a random place, came back and handed her keys and didn't say a word. That's Grant. Th- that's why we, we need to stop playing Grant Theft Auto. This, this, is, this is what they were talking about when people say video games are bad for youth. That's exactly what it is. And honestly, I would do the same thing. I would 100% do the same thing. This was before Grand Theft Auto, I think. We're going back a ways. So this was like the OG, yes. So, But he could have gotten arrested for that. But happy ending. It all happened 25 years ago and no one remembers. Except me. <laughs> now we all know the story. Okay. I need to switch hat, hats here because we're going to be doing a little lightning round of news. But before we do the lightning round of news, we have like major news from last night that we need to talk about. So I need to prepare to talk about Bruce Arians. Ooh. He has left head coaching he's now a front office person he has left behind the look for me now i am the exclusive bruce arians looking person in the nfl and uh, thank you you did a lot of course bruce arians besides bequeath me this look um and i think we should be talking about those other things bruce arians resigns as head coach moves up to front office job todd bowles takes over as head coach thoughts reactions it's big news thoughts reactions what do we have I'm confused about the timing. It's it's such an odd uh, uh, time of year at at the uh, you know at the spring meetings to suddenly suddenly do this. I'm confused that it's Todd Bowles instead of Byron Leftwich getting the uh, getting the head coaching's job. I'm confused about the timing in relation to free agency and Brady coming back. It's 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 a very strange move, and I don't think it's uh, unpredicted or anything like that. I mean, there was there is talk about maybe Arian stepping back at some point, you know, after the season or next season. Like it's not like. He's out of nowhere. He's decided to leave, right. but to, to do it on on March thirtieth is very strange to me. Right? Yeah, I think he's hinted at retirement before, so I was shocked at first. But I'm like, you know, it kind of makes sense for him to do it this way, especially when he talked about in the story that Sam Farmer and Peter King did when he talked about succession. You know, he says succession's always been huge for him, and leaving it in a better place than he than he left the. Uh, they found the franchise. I think right. having having it go immediately to Todd Bowles or to uh, having, I mean, going to Todd Bowles, I think that shows a lot about Bruce Arians' character as a person and just his, I guess my thing was his reasoning behind it was so much more profound than actually just like, yeah, I'm just done with, I'm not going to, I don't want to coach anymore. It's just like right. leaving a place better than when you found it. And I think that's something super important that people can learn, like not only in football, but in life. You know, I think Bruce Arians was such a huge part of the NFL and not only like the offensive stuff. We can talk about scheme all we want, but having the most diverse staff in the league is huge. And now it's another black head coach, a black offensive coordinator. And then we'll see what he does with what Todd Bowles does with his defense. But I'm honestly like reading that quote about succession to him really put it all in perspective for me. Yeah. Using opportunities to create opportunities, you know, using his advantages to create advantages for others. And you create the situation for balls. You do create a situation for Leftwich, who cannot, can no longer be said, well, he is just the man behind the curtain with Arians. You know, some of the things that are said about Eric Bieniemy for one reason or another. So you create these opportunities. You also create a lot of opportunities for female coaches along the way. He, he has sort of lived it. So you, you, you get two things, and Joey Sucks uh, uh, is going with the you know, inquiring minds want to know why he was forced out 
by Tom, and there's no indicator of that. There's no reason to think that. They, Arians' personality does not seem to be the kind that would be like, I can't take Tom Brady anymore. It would have been more like, oh, let Tom be Tom as we do these other things here. It looks like this was clearly an idea that I wanted to move on, and I wanted to make sure I moved on in a way that Todd was secure to get this opportunity that a lot of black coaches do not get. There are opportunities with the Jets for three years with no quarterback and like it or lump it. And when you fail, boop, that's it. That was your only chance. And this is something unique and different. And I believe this is also be the fourth black head coach in Buccaneers history. No other team has had more than two. So I think that that says something about the franchise as well. Right. Right. And Mike Kurtz is, uh, you know, to, to, to point out, Bruce Arians was a jackass and complicit in a lot of work as, aspects of the NFL. I don't know. I, I think we could put that on the obituaries of a lot of people in the NFL. So I'm, I'm not certain that, you know, this is the time to say, well, you know, we're going to line item this. But you say, looking past all Antonio Brown's various issues, then cutting him after some Friday night light stunts tells you all you need to know about his character. I, half the league looked past Antonio Brown's issues, Mike. I uh, mean, Bill Belichick did. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and, and I don't, I don't know if like, oh my God, you didn't give Antonio Brown a fair shake is where we want to land on this. You know, Antonio Brown is right now in on Twitter saying uh, that thing I said about ankle surgery, I still haven't had the ankle surgery. The one I claim to have where I put a picture of the ankle surgery up, but it was somebody else's ankle surgery. I'm not having, I'm only going to have that. It's like, I I wouldn't want to say, you know, Bruce Arians is wrong because Antonio Brown, Mike, I, I disagree with that. I feel like that's a, that's a, that's a hard hill to choose uh, uh, to defend. Yeah, but I think overall, I think Bruce Arians, outside of the schematic things they did for the NFL, he was just a – he seemed like a really cool interview. Like, it, I think Greg Allman for The Athletic talked about all the time, like he would curse in uh, interviews or just mm-hmm. give a lot more than what standard coaches would say. And I think that's yeah. something that's super important to not only journalism, but for the fan, like you get fans want to be smarter about what they watch. And I think getting more access and getting coaches more available to talk like that is really important to making fans smarter. I agree. And you know, some, sometimes there are coaches who put on the wall with the media, but then they're great with the players. Belichick is an example. Andy Reid's a big example of that many players really like Andy Reid. There are some, coaches who are gregarious to the media, but can be a pain in the ass in the back. I'm not going to say who they are, but like some of them are. Arians seems like he was always that guy. He was always that guy. He was straight shooting with the players. You know, he might have to tell them something they didn't like. It, it, it came out directly. You know, when he would tell us, when we were saying something dumb, we would get told we were saying something dumb, you know, and he, and he did call it like it is on, on things like, on things like diversity matters and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I'm grateful that I remember he's, he's now a assistant GM. So I'm, I'm like, like he's not gone. We're still going to see him. We're going to see him at the, at, at the scouting combine next year, et cetera, et cetera. But it's unique. The legacy he's leaving right now as a, as a head coach. Yeah. All right. Now let's pick up the pace a little bit because all of the news we're going to do now is stuff that's happened in the last three or four days. Kind of want to blast through it. So if you go on too long talking, I don't know. Maybe I'll interrupt you and be a jerk. Probably not. But let's go through these as quickly as possible. I will shoot to one person at a time. And this is our lightning round here at the Football Outsiders Draft Stadium. Are you ready? Here we go. NFL approves new overtime rules in which each team gets the ball once. Your thoughts, Brian? Better than the USFL's recently announced overtime rules. It's a, it's a solution in search for a problem. <laughs> Very good, JP. 
Play defense, cowards. That's that's really it. You want to win? Play defense. Oh, I had something to say, but we're going to stick with that. We're just going to move right on. Next one. Saints sign Andy Dalton and move Taysom Hill to tight end. JP, your thoughts? Taysom Hill is an NFT because you're investing in an idea that probably doesn't exist in the first place. <laughs> Very nice. Brian. I'm sure his transition will go better than Tim Tebow's. <laughs> yeah, he is methadone Tebow. That, that is who he is. If you if you were addicted to Tebow and you're trying to get off, you've been on Taysom Hill for the past six years. And he's a much better player, but still. <laughs> he's Nick yeah, He's a better player, obviously, but yeah. yeah. And also methadone's less dangerous than heroin. Okay. Patriots say that Matt Patricia will have an active role coaching their offense. Brian. Well, he's bound to be better at it than he was at coaching the Lions defense the last three years. Ooh, JP. <laughs> this is like, if you watch Succession, this is if Logan Roy, instead of keeping the company, handed it to Greg. <laughs> Next one. I had stuff lined up. I can't use it. This is great. <laughs> Next one. 2024 draft will be held in Detroit. Combine might stay in, Mindian- in Indianapolis. JP. I'm cool with it. I've never been to Indy. I'd love to go to the Combine. Brian. I have an, I have an Indy. I'm fine not going back there. Uh, Detroit <laughs> is an odd choice, but you've been moving around everywhere. Everyone's got to host it eventually. Yeah. I've never been to Detroit. I hope it works out well. As for the Combine in Indy, thank you, weather guys. Thank you, Storm. Uh, thank you, whoever, for making a beautiful week in Indianapolis. It was like 55 degrees every day. And I think a lot of NFL insiders were like, oh, let's stay here one more year. If it had been usual sideways sleep mm-hmm. weather, weather in Indianapolis, we'd be going to Fort Worth next year uh, for the combine. And I would not be looking forward to that. Okay. Last one. The 49ers suggest they may keep – I'm going to go to UJP first. Uh, the 49ers suggest they may keep Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup. JP. He's the most expensive backup I've ever seen in my life. What what are they doing? <laughs> Brian. It's a semi-bluff, I think would be the poker term. They, they don't want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. No one, no one in the Fortnite wants to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, but keeping him as a backup and getting a compensatory pick in 2024 is better than dealing him for a seventh-round pick or just cutting him outright. They can get at least a little bit of value out of him, but they've misplayed their hand to get to this point. They definitely misplayed their hand, and I think you're in the right position with that. It's like, as the necessary evil and to have a veteran backup, they might do that. And we're going to be talking about Garoppolo in the next segment, yeah. but... Thank you, guys. By the way, Joey Sox suggests we should have held up the phone with a timer. That's too high-tech for me. It would take me 10 minutes to get this thing set up. Um, That was the greatest moment in Football Outsiders podcasting history, guys. You nailed it. I should just shut the podcast down now, but I think they expect us to go longer, and we plan the next segment. But that was tremendous. We're going to keep doing that. we got to do that more often. We're going to do that in future shows. (laughs) We're going to do that in future shows. I'm going to tell Aaron that we have to do that when he gets back from Mars. Okay. Now, Brian's been doing a lot of the heavy lifting at Football Outsiders over the last week or two or three or four, um, doing a lot of statistical articles. And not all of them were simply about the NFL's most mediocre mediocre teams. Some of them were looking back at our 2021 data. And one of the things we've been doing for years at Football Outsiders is tracking failed completions and successful completions. And a, a failed completion is what you think it is, fans. You can look it up on the site to get the exact definition. But third and 10, two-yard crossing pass? Failed completion, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, the screen for a negative three, failed completion, et cetera. Um, and so Brian has done that. And 
we're going to start actually with the successful completions because even though the, the failed completions are more fun and they're, they're more fun to click and promote successful completions talk about like quarterbacks who did well. And I think we put up a graphic on this. I'm going to put up the list of successful completion leaders for 2021. And one of these things, I won't sing the song because I think it's a right issue, but one of these things is not like the other. Brian, who's that handsome fellow at the bottom? Who's that Paisan at the bottom? How did he get onto this list? Jimmy Garoppolo is usually on the list of successful completions. In 2019, I think he was 11th. Uh, in 2021, he's up to the second highest successful completion rate in the NFL. Now, you might say, oh, that's all yards after catch. And you're only mostly right about that. Uh, <laughs> Garoppolo's average successful completion has the same depth of target as anyone else. He's about average at depth of target. But he gains an extra 7.5 uh, yards. He averages 7.5 yards after the catch on his successful completions. So a lot of his stuff is the system. It's him hitting the series in stride and then running uh, running past the first downs, getting, getting extra yards after the catch. That being said... It does mean something that Garoppolo does well in the stat where Nick Mullins never did and C.J. Beathard never did. Garoppolo does have the ability to hit, you know, the uh, the George Kittles and the Debo Samuels in stride and help the plays work. But uh, you are seeing a lot of a lot of the Shanahan scheme when you are looking at that number. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this this number kind of reminds me that Kyle Shanahan is probably the best offensive play caller in the league and just getting Jimmy Garoppolo open looks over the middle where he's the most comfortable throwing the ball. And also those San Francisco 49ers employ a bunch of yak monsters who are pinball machines yeah. from hell. So that really <laughs> helps him. That really helps Jimmy G out a lot. But I do think it really, it is really interesting having, seeing him on the successful completions list because yeah. I mean, you don't really think of that when you think of Jimmy G. <laughs> Right. The rest of the top 10 is exactly who you'd expect, too. It's Mahomes, Brady, Stafford, Prescott, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow. It is a good list of good quarterbacks. So the fact that Garoppolo is up there, it does say a lot about Shanahan offense. And I think it does say something about Jimmy G. It's a skill to be able to distribute the ball well to these playmakers. It's a skill that, you know, Daniel Jones doesn't have, for example. It's, 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 it's something that he, you can bank as a skill set. And apparently it's not one that the rest of the NFL particularly cares for at this point in time. And Tom Brady had that skill set for many years and still does. I mean, he's airing it out now under uh, or last year under Bruce Arians more than he did in the past. But there's a lot of quick screens. There's a lot of things like that. And is getting that ball to that player in space. Were there any other, uh, Brian, guys who aren't on this list who were surprises among the successful completion guys? Maybe not a surprise, but if you haven't been paying attention, Baker Mayfield's raw completion rate was 30th in the league last year. It was not great. But his successful completion rank, uh, rate jumped up to 18th, which, hmm. which is still not great. You see why, why my team might want to get rid of him. Right. But his he's one of those quarterbacks whose raw numbers don't really uh, fully display his his passing pep prowess because he doesn't get a lot of those screens and checkdowns that artificially inflate completion percentages around the league. So, I mean, Mayfield is one of those he, – he had a higher successful completion rate than Matt Ryan. He had a higher successful completion rate than Kirk Cousins. He had a higher successful completion rate than Russell Wilson uh, last season. So, I mean, Mayfield is not as bad as some uh, people are thinking of while we're talking about quarterbacks looking for new homes. I think for me – Yeah, go ahead. I think for me it's hello, top 10 quarterback Derek Carr. 
Is that, <laughs> is that where we're at right now? He's top 10 in successful completions, but also had the most fail completions. So right. it's the, the equivalent of that meme. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. It's really <laughs> interesting because he had his best year of his career throwing the ball down the field and actually testing the defense like we know he can. But then he'll throw the check down all the, like he did in the playoffs against the Bengals. So it really is sometimes maybe good. Sometimes try and air the ball out a little more, man. So, but I really interesting seeing him <laughs> with 10 at him in top 10, Eric Carr. Yeah, Carr has a knack for finishing ninth in every category, you know, and that's <laughs> that's that's just good. Good categories, bad categories. He's eighth or ninth in every single one of them. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's kept them in the league. And, you know, when you keep finishing ninth in things like yards per attempt and all, you know, you're going to stay in the NFL. By the way, Todd Singer says 49ers need to send the successful completions table around the league to promote Garoppolo. We got Mayfield into it, too. <laughs> we are here at Football Outsiders trying to play matchmaker in the NFL. So, so Andrew Barry's going to send – Andrew Barry's going to send that segment with Brian talking about Baker Mayfield to the Seahawks. And be like, hey, see, he's good. You know you want him. <laughs> oh, please. Bra- Brown's uh, Brown's uh, Twitter has pivoted into uh, Barry is a genius for spending all that money because it's all a, a galaxy brain plan to make Joe Barrow too expensive in three years. Uh, I, 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 wish, I wish I had the talent to come up for, with takes like that, but I did not drop enough acid when I was a teenager. Um, Another one, by the way, I think you mentioned Tua was near the top of that list. Is that correct, Brian? Tua was 11th in successful completion rate, which is surprising. But you can see the, the, the meme of him as an RPO-only quarterback. But yeah. he did do all right. A lot Those RPOs often gain significant yards. Uh, you know, when you throw in the ball to Jaden Weddle over and over again, that's good. And now, when you talk about the Shanahan, now you get the Shanahan system coming in. And now you've got Tyreek Hill in there as well. Maybe we'll see him replacing Jimmy Garoppolo at sec- as the surprising second-place finisher next season. It makes sense, right? Because you bring in Tyreek, you bring in McDan- the adorable Mike McDaniel, yeah. uh, and, and then you can you can create that yak machine offense. I'm not still I'm still not selling their offensive line, but you could see that as the path forward. By the way, I I am not on the anti Tua train like I was last year. I'm very, very open minded that Tua can turn this thing around. Now that like it seems like Teddy Bridgewater aside, um, Mike McDaniel and, and the organization is like, yeah, we're going to actually give Tua a real chance. Yeah, there's an offense you can build with this team. Like, you can employ a lot of the Shanahan RPO, the yak stuff that Kyle Shanahan did for Jimmy G. You can do that with Tua. Tua's very good at being a point guard and getting the ball out on time and in right. rhythm. It's just there's there might be a little limit to that when you can't stretch the defense vertically. That's going to be what I want to see from this offense, but I know you can build something there because the Niners have been doing it for three years. Right. And you got Tyreek now with Jalen Waddle, with Jacecki going up the scheme, and they got and they got some added running backs and stuff like that. It could be a lot of fun. That's that's like one of those teams. I don't play Madden anymore, guys. But if I played Madden, then maybe I'll pick it up again now that I have a PS5. I was like, I want to I want to mess around with the Dolphins because I want to play with all these guys. Now we're gonna switch over to failed completions, and I'm gonna put on an even older man hat because the failed completions leader was our dear friend. Well, you guys, anyone listening, watching, who hasn't read Brian's article can guess the failed completions leader <laughs> was old man Roethlisberger. And Brian Knowles is wearing a 
Ben Roethlisberger helmet from Mookie helmet, yeah. Entered the NFL. Uh, talk talk about Roethlisberger's leg failed completion legacy. Poor Big Ben. This has been coming for a few years. Uh, he he had high numbers of uh, failed completions in each of his last couple of healthy seasons. Now, a failed completion isn't ne- a high number of failed completions isn't necessarily a bad thing. Drew Brees often had a high number of failed completions because when you're throwing so many short passes that you're hoping uh, turns into good things, right. sometimes it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But then there's the Joe Flacco type uh, failed completion leaders where everything's a check down on third and eight. <laughs> and Ben has been transitioning from the Drew Brees type to the Joe Flacco type for about five years. <laughs> and when you couple in his fading arm strength because of injuries, an offensive line that can't stop anybody, and a running game that isn't really successful, you have a recipe for a truly historic amount of failed completions. Roethlisberger finished with 130 failed completions. That is the second highest total in NFL history. The only person to ever do more than that one season was 2016 Joe Flacco with 144. That was peak Flacco. Yes. Elite, elite quarterback, Joe Flacco. Yes. <laughs> Roethlisberger, I mean, obviously he gets the benefit of the of the 17th week to help generate these raw totals. Yeah. But he had a failed completion percentage of 33%. A third of his dropbacks last season ended up in a completion that didn't do any good. That is one of the top 25 rates of all time. Roethlisberger was just done. He was shot, and it was... <laughs> It was, it was, it's hard to watch him shambling around out there at times in 2020, uh, 2021. Wasn't helped by his team, no. but didn't do much by himself either. God, I, there was one point, I think it was in the Chiefs playoff game, where mm-hmm. uh, it was like fourth and eight, and he threw a two-yard swing pass at Najee Harris. And yeah. I, just, I couldn't help but laugh, but at the same time, like, dog, you, you got to have something better in the holster for that. It's fourth and eight, and you throw a two-yard swing pass. Najee Harris led the league with 33 failed receptions. The leader (laughs) among receivers were Deontay Johnson with 30 failed receptions. The player with the highest rate of failed receptions was Ray Ray McLeod at 42.1%. Roethlisberger dragged all the Steelers down to the very bottom of these tables. He he was done. He should have been done before last season. And Mike Kurtz asked the question, were the Steelers a year too late or perhaps two years too late in transition? I I, I don't know. Your thoughts on that, guys? I mean, is this a year too late or? It's easy to say that in retrospect, yeah. uh, you know, because there's always a chance because, uh, you know, he last year was coming back from the injury and you started 11-0 when you had, you had, you said, oh, well, maybe with another year another year removed he can be better and you see what brady can do at age and so on and so on and so forth and it's just, yeah it turns out no it was in fact a year too late but it's 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 very easy to say that now that we know what happened yeah i was kind of on the they should move on from ben like i think it was a year and brown were gone i was like yeah they need to go ahead and pack this up and rebuild because i don't think there's I think Ben was holding back the franchise from actually starting over. I mean, you can talk about the 11 and 0 start they had. I think it was last year, but even then they were winning games with that defense being played at a historic level. And Ben really wasn't helping them out that much. So, I think they've kind of messed up their opportunity to kind of draft and develop a quarterback. It's like they should have done what the Packers did with Jordan yeah. Love, but the Packers did it with Aaron Rodgers, who still is Aaron Rodgers. They, the Steelers right. should have done that. But now they're going to have to either 
trot out Mitch Trubisky or go draft a quarterback in the first round. And I don't know if this is the draft where you want to draft a quarterback in the first round. So I think they've kind of, they messed it up a little bit, but like you said, it's easy to kind of say that in retrospect. Right. I feel like they should have had the succession plan in place. That's we see Matt Ryan on this list and the Falcons should have had a succession plan in place. Not necessarily you have to bench Roethlisberger the first time he can't hit a 40 yard deep ball, et cetera, because you want his savvy and things like that. But everything should have been lit up. So we were ready for this moment. Maybe we're, we're ready for a moment last year when it was like, God, oh my gosh, this is not happening anymore. And that's what they failed to do. And, um, Juan Carlos Rodriguez says, you know, glad you mentioned the ter- terrible O-line, but no Matt Canada, really. I know Matt Canada is like a hobby horse for this, for Steelers fans. He had no choice. There was, n- there was nothing Matt Canada could do. I don't know if Matt Canada is secretly a really good coordinator. I don't know if there's any evidence of that, but the idea that he's some terrible coordinator, they were doing that stuff because they had to. You watch that offensive line, and when you watch what Roethlisberger had left, he was like when I used to play NCAA football, and I would take the academic school, and I'd play Alabama. All you can do is throw <laughs> the screen and hope that you can, you put the button combination to make it. That's all Matt Canada had to work with, and he would go out there, and because you know, especially Steelers talk radio, it was like you know, you know, Big Ben, you know, his legacy, things like that. Canada kind of took a lot of the heat for that. So I mean, I don't know. Canada could still turn out to stink, but I don't think he had a darn option besides what he was doing last year i mean canada's gonna get a lot of the hate from steelers fans he said but watching big ben out there kind of reminds me of like that part in the anime where the old guy is fighting the villain and you know it's not going to happen they're not going to win but you just see him fighting out there and you're honestly starting to feel bad because you you know it's not gonna happen they're they're gonna die and and he's doing it to sort of motivate and inspire the young hero in the anime but it's yeah, no young he's hero. trying to inspire a young hero, but there's no young hero. I mean, Mason Rudolph is not the young hero in this case. Mitch and Trubisky. Maybe Dwayne Haskins turn, turn to shine. Dwayne Haskins. I don't even think they want Dwayne Haskins there. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, Dwayne Haskins doesn't, hasn't seemed to want Dwayne Haskins. I think that's one of the problems that's been going on with his career. And Mike Kurtz does say this draft works in their favor. One of the top three, four quarterbacks will be there. should be there at 20. There's talk about how they like Malik Willis a lot. Um, you know, there, there's a little bit of a Pittsburgh connection that's overstated with Kenny Pickett. I think next year's draft really works in their favor because there's going to be several guys. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, the Steelers aren't tanking. They will not, they will wind up finishing, even with Trubisky out there, eight and nine, seven and 10, something like that. And then, you know, will they, if they punt on this year's class, which they might not do, will one of these free beer tomorrow, great. 2022 2023 prospects be there and patrick silly does say when did making the playoffs become a bad year uh but her her and this is a good point herbert never makes the playoffs he's recorded as a superstar okay herbert we love him that's early adopter stuff right like he's the next big thing he's now he's next so yeah herbert is now better than lamar jackson and you know everybody else combined because he almost beat the raiders that time I, I get that, but I would say making the playoffs becoming a, a bad year is when you are a team that has maxed out salary cap, when you're in a bunch of guys in your 30s, you have an older quarterback, that your success is clearly behind you, and the thing you hang your hat on is, yeah, we went, what, 8-7-1. and one, You got a seventh seed, yeah. Yeah, got yeah. the seventh seed and got the crap pounded out. Then it becomes an eh year. 
I mean, again, wins aren't a quarterback stat. Like, we can't say, like, yeah, Big Ben was good because they made the seventh seed the playoffs. We shouldn't do that because Big Ben isn't playing defense. And if he did play defense, the defense would have gotten worse. But, (laughs) I mean, Ben was bad for the past two years. They made the playoffs because of that defense being historic. And T.J. Watt almost breaking or tying the sack record and almost breaking it, like, every year. Right. So the offense has been needing change for a, a little while. I just think they're a little bit too late on it now. And now Storm Templar is saying at least Ryan won't try to throw three picks on so- shovel passes. And I, I don't know if we're <laughs> I'm trying to ease back on the Carson Wentz slander because everyone else has stolen my material. And by everyone else, I mean the people he worked for. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> like, I would I, feel – I have never seen somebody so happy that a dude is out of the building other than Jim Ursay being happy that Carson Wentz is gone. He's spoken about him like he was like Baltimore or something. <laughs> it, it is. So it's like I'm almost like this is the pendulum swung here on this. But we look at our failed completions uh, list, and this is not the bottom category. These are guys near the bottom of the list. I skipped a few Tyler Huntley types. I was like, well, okay, okay, yeah, we get it. But look at all the quarterbacks who changed hands or are going to change hands or on this list. There's Wentz, who I don't think of as a failed completions guy. I think of as a fart the ball in the triple coverage interception guy. There's Matt Ryan. Um, talk me through this a little bit, Brian. You have a lot of players down here. Some of these players are having off, off years. Well, I mean, Russell Wilson is usually near the very bottom of the failed completion rate. He's yes. usually he, very good. He, he's banged up. He, scratch him off but you have a lot of players here who are just used to the shutdowns used to like you know getting up and going another day maybe daniel jones improves with not jason garrett and not uh, joe judge running the offense i think that's that's a legitimate possibility uh cousins has always been like this i mean that's been the joke about why shanahan loves him so much because that you know kirk cousins is jimmy garoppolo without the shanahan offense right and that's right. that that's the idea there you have a you know Matt Ryan is on the Roethlisberger train to irrelevance. I mean, I think he's still, I think he's a few years behind, so I, right. I think the, the calls can still get something out of him, but he's headed that direction. I, it, it's a depressing list, it, it is what it is. This list is the embodiment of the Kirk scale. I think, um, yeah. <laughs> I think somebody from Seahawks Twitter, I think it's C Mike Spin Move on Twitter, invented the Kirk scale, which is the scale of Kirk Cousins like quarterbacks. And if you look at the scale, you uh-huh. see Daniel Jones on the Kirk scale. Kirk Cousins uh-huh. is obviously on the Kirk scale. Baker Mayfield's on the Kirk scale. Matt Ryan's on the Kirk scale. This field completion is exactly why they are other versions of Kirk. You're not <laughs> hit the sometimes all right play, but you're going to get a lot of those fail completions and the checkdowns on third and eight. That's the Kirk Cousins special. Now there's different levels of variance on the Kirk scale. Like I think Matt Ryan is on the upper tier of the yes. Kirk scale. And I think Daniel Jones, Baker Mayfield are more on the lower tier of the Kirk scale, but Kirk is Kirk. <laughs> like, like <laughs> there's no other way to describe it. Like you have the elite quarterbacks, you got the good quarterbacks, you got Kirk and then you got no, everybody else. No human I can think of has inspired more variations on. We need to talk about me- mediocrity in a new way than Kirk Cousins. Like, we create statistics and entire April Fool's routines, and it's all built around what Kirk Cousins means for us as a 21st century society in that 
his mediocrity transformed into such wealth. And the fact that there is like a Kirk similarity score, <laughs> like a Kevin Bacon level thing about Kirk Cousins is is, is indicative of kind of where we are. The it's like Gemini Man. It's like Gemini <laughs> Man, but different versions of Kirk. <laughs> sake patrick Sealy asks ryan and russ make their team super bowl contenders still i'm gonna go with a probably maybe i'm gonna go with a maybe for russ and a barely for ryan what do you guys think I, that, that's about right I'm, I'm a little higher on russ if it wasn't for the division i think i'd be even higher still yeah. ryan i think i think i'll be fired for a year but he's go he's trending negative i'm not, i wouldn't have made the deal for ryan if i was the cause i would have i would have looked elsewhere okay I think I think Matt Ryan fits what the Colts are trying to do right now, which is like they're a playoff team now and they needed a quarterback to get them over the hump in the playoffs now. I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl contender with Matt Ryan, but they'll they'll they Jacksonville if they have Matt Ryan. They won't lose that game to the Raiders if yeah. Ryan. They'll make the playoffs. I think with Russ, um I'm I'm kind of iffy on saying they're Super Bowl contenders because I really do think a lot of Russ's style of play is starting to kind of wane off as he gets older. Like all the really cool Russ stuff that he does outside the pocket and throwing the deep passes, those aren't starting to hit like they used to. So I don't think he has to change his complete style of game completely or style of play, but I do think he needs to modify it a little bit in order to A, not take as many hits and get injured and B, maximize his efficiency because building an offense out of, Deep shots and checkdowns isn't exactly a Super Bowl winning offense. Yeah, I think I think uh, Derek Clausen on Twitter the other day was saying, you know, the hypothetical let Russ cook offense that Russell Wilson thinks he's supposed to run doesn't work anymore. They just get out there and just let her let her rip all the time. Is that that time is gone? <laughs> if we can pull it up, Joey sucks says Russ not being able to throw in the middle was okay when he could run. Mm -hmm. This actually is my tinfoil hat theory. Russ okay. can't see over the middle of the field because he's not taller <laughs> than any of the offensive linemen. That's why he doesn't throw it over the middle of the field because he can't see over the linemen. That's why he has to run out the pocket and throw it along the hashes. That's the only place where he can see. Like it's, Kyler it's Murray. Right. Kyler Murray doesn't throw over the middle of the field. Right. It's not a tinfoil hat theory. And Derek was talking about this on the draft show. Yeah, Drew Brees did not throw over the middle a lot. He threw really shallow crosses over the middle a lot. The shorter quarterbacks often do have a hard time seeing it and have to compensate for it. And a lot of times you see them shuffle in the pocket to see that. But I think in Russell Wilson's cases, have they had a middle of the field target since Jimmy Graham left? Nope. No, but I also don't think they even like attempted or the ball in the middle of the field. And that could be because <laughs> they don't have a target or that's because just doesn't like throwing over the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. And I think it might be a little bit of both, but again, it's a problem with being shorter than your linemen. <laughs> you right. can't really see over them. Right. That's a fact. Joey Sucks also mentioned, uh, we, I think we had similar discussions around Jay Cutler back in the day, similar to Cousins. It's a little different because the Cutler was about, you know, how much of a douche he was. In the, <laughs> and how much know. effort he was giving. And then neither of those have been really been – a no. significant problem with Cousins. Exactly. So, yeah, you had this sort of Aaron Rodgers off the field who on the field was maybe a little more, more, more talented and more daring than Cousins, I think, but maybe not as effectual because you didn't know from week to week if he was even speaking to his coach or 
you know, had an ankle sprain that he could have played. All, all that goofy stuff with Cutler. So it was a little, di- a little bit of a different vibe. He was base boosted, Kirk Cousins. <laughs> that, okay, now I'm gonna run with this. Jay Cutler was base boosted, Kirk Cousins. That, that's gonna be my okay. thing now. <laughs> base, base boosted, right? Maybe treble boosted too. So it was like you know, like a, like a siren in your ear, uh, uh, <laughs> like that. And, and uh, Davis Mills is base boosted, Brock Osweiler. And I'm just gonna throw <laughs> him out there. You know, we can talk about Daniel Jones. Right? We kind of know we're gonna wait and see, quote unquote. Maybe he has a better offense. The Texans are running with Davis Mills, and I think a lot of people have just been like, oh, the Texans are running with Davis Mills. He played well in a game I didn't watch against the Jaguars or that close loss to the Patriots, and here we see him, and he's very high on the failed completions list. Yeah, he's so, uh, 31st out of 33, I believe, yeah. <laughs> so I think the Texans are in a really interesting spot with Davis Mills. I kind of compare it to, and you brought up Jaguars, where the Jaguars were – with Gardner Minshew going into his second year where like he played good enough to where you're not necessarily having to draft a quarterback this year. Right. So you can say like, yeah, we'll try and build the offense around him and see what it looks like. If it works, then yeah, sure. You got a quarterback. If it doesn't, this is the perfect year to tank. Yeah. So if he's bad and the bottom falls out, go and draft Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. So I feel like yeah. they're in the, the right spot now where they can surround their team with talent because that roster is talent devoid. And if Mills is the guy, then he'll show it this next year. If he's not, then you got a draft pick. You got a top draft pick. Yeah, multiple next year in the first round. So you should be all right. Yeah. And, and Joey Sucks says Davis Mills is a microwave dinner quarterback. I like that. Whereas Gardner Minshew was a big handful of 7-Eleven taquitas dinner. <laughs> where like those first couple of bites are like, oh, I'm glad I'm glad I did this. And then you realize life choices, they, they weren't the best ones. This was not a good one. Um, and, and Slim Reaper just tuned in, loves the assortment of hats today. Thank you. I forgot that this was March 31st, not April Fool's. So this is our April Fool's issue. And I'm going to switch up one more time here to my Ooh. my uh, sort of uh, my painter guy. This is my this is my uh, French man of man of arts and culture hat. And we're going <laughs> to. Run with this one, uh, may we? Um, let's uh, let's put failed completions aside, and we got one more segment here, and it's another thing that Brian wrote this week, and you'll be able to find it on Football Outsiders. And we are talking about DVOA overachievers, and these were teams that last year. It, well, explain it to me, Brian. They they outperformed their DVOA. Is, is that the best way of saying? Yeah, you know, we looked at our projections from before the season started, and which teams did the best over what we thought they would be uh, in August of last year. So the teams that that most uh, baffled our our projections. Because so our projections were really good last year. There was a 0.74 correlation between DVOA and expect and projected DVOA. We're really good, but there's always some surprises. And these these were the five teams that did the best uh, compared to what we thought they were going to be. And I guess one of the questions I ask coming in is, is there a commonality? Is there something that we see in common with these teams at all? There's a couple of commonalities. Uh, Both the Chargers and Patriots are uh, quarterbacks taking a big step forward. Justin Herbert, we talked earlier in the show about it. Everyone's on Justin Herbert. He took a big step in in season two. He looks looking like a superstar. And obviously your projections can't just assume that a quarterback takes that next step. Herbert did, and that's why the Chargers outperformed their projections. Mac Jones coming in and playing at a at a good level all season long is you, you can't project that for a rookie quarterback. The fact that he come, came in and did that 
helped the Eagle uh, help the Patriots get over their projections. The Eagles, who I actually had last season as the team most likely to get the first overall pick, wow. they again had had an improvement from their quarterback coming in when uh, starting about midseason when they started going with that with the whole running attack and stretching the field horizontally kind of kind of paradigm shift they did. So a lot a lot of this is quarterbacks playing better than expected. I think for me, one of the first things that jumps out is those top three teams and overachievers played great defense this entire year. Like yeah. the Cowboys led the team, led the NFL in takeaways. Their DVOA was, I think, near the tops in defense. And I mean, they were fantastic on defense this year. They got Pro Bowl, All Pro level play from their rookie and Micah Parsons. Javon Diggs put together a defense player of the year campaign. The Bills completely turned around their defense from last year into one top the this year the Patriots are always going to be the Patriots I mean even the Eagles to an extent like around the second half of the season yeah. started turning around their defense the Chargers I mean <laughs> go figure <laughs> right right one thing I see is I see two AFC East teams and I see two NFC East teams and we, we schedule adjust in DVOA I mean everything is is uh opponent adjusted but sometimes I look at that and say is there just a little bit of like, we can't adjust for schedule enough and that's what we're looking at there. I don't think that's so much. It. I, th- I think, I think a lot of it is that, you know, you look at the Cowboys and the, and the uh, bills of great defenses. Well, defense varies so much from year to year. That's much less consistent from year to year than offenses, which makes it harder to project which teams are going to be good at defense. Right. Sometimes you've all seven. Like if I told you that uh, uh, Tredavious White season was going to end early, you wouldn't assume that the bills would be able to step up and, re- and replace him and do so well. Right. De- defense is so variable from season to season that uh, our projections just aren't as high when it comes to on the defensive side of the ball because there's just more uncertainty baked in. That's why the Cowboys and Bills, I think, are less likely to keep their overperformance compared to, say, the Chargers or Patriots, who are more offensive themed, which is why they got up here. Interesting. So if I was going to say the one team that's going to hold serve, that's going to stay near the top of the league it's not going to drop because of this i would say the bills off the top of my head yeah it's possible uh i would actually go with the chargers because you know when you have that young quarterback making that next step up that's how that's how you get into that next level the bills are kind of in that next level there's only so much more up they can go because mm-hmm. the bills are already at the top of the league it's not like they can keep improving uh too much but the chargers are ascendant and they just added so much talent the Chargers are the thing the team I think would keep uh, would be the most likely to keep their overperformance, if you want to phrase it that way. Yeah, there's nowhere to go but up for the Chargers defensively. Right. They added Cleo Mack and J.C. Jackson. Yeah. They're going to add some more in the draft. Now they actually have a defense that can at least maybe kind of stop the run a little bit. That would help. They can stop the pass so much it won't matter. Like you won't throw the ball at all. Oh well, you gain eight yards on a running play. Whatever. That, 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 I think that's the mentality. Yeah. <laughs> the Cowboys to be the team I think would be the most likely to fall down because they've had a very strange off season. They they've, they've the- lost something. They've signed some players. It doesn't feel like the Cowboys have a coherent plan going forward, which is always a, a, a warning sign for me. That was the team I was going to say would be the most likely to fall down to earth. Like you said. Turnovers, defense, especially turnovers, are very high variance. Like, Trevon Diggs is not going to have 11 or 12 interceptions like he did this year. I don't think that's going to happen. And like you said, the Cowboys have had a really strange offseason where I think they've only signed like three people and also let Randy Gregory go. 
yeah. and they didn't and they traded Amari Cooper. So now, now they're rolling out CD Lamb, Gallup, and I think Dalton Schultz as their top three receiving targets. Oh god. And they also they also lost Lyle Collins and Connor Williams. So yeah. you got a whole lot of place offense, which is which was supposed to carry that team. And then defensively, you lost Randy Gregory. You kept leading Vanderesh, which I mean, congrats on oh, that. But yeah. that defense is certainly going to take a step back. And then you're not going to be able to rely on that offense as much because it simply just won't be as good because you didn't add enough. The Cowboys yeah. entered the offseason first in our way too early uh, DBOA projections, which we did like right after the season started. But that's before all this personnel movement happened. I right. find it very difficult to believe they'll be first the next time we run, run the projections. Right. And I'll tell you what Vegas is saying right now, or the house. It's not Vegas anymore. Uh, the cow to win the NFC, the Cowboys are only plus seven fifty. The Cowboys behind the Buccaneers, Rams, Packers, and 49ers are plus seven fifty. I, I think they've fallen off a little bit there, but I'm gonna be a shocker right now. AFC, I think we know the Bills are plus three thirty to win the AFC. The Bills are prohibitive favors, Super Bowl favorites right now. Uh, the Chargers are at plus eight fifty. I don't think anybody's really sleeping on the Chargers improving. The Patriots are at plus twenty two hundred right now. Plus twenty two hundred just to win the conference. That's not a bad value. If if Mac Jones does make uh, a second year leap, which often you do see out of rookie passers, that's that's tasty. I know that I know the division is hard. I know the conference is hard, but plus twenty two hundred not not bad odds at all. That is interesting. I just. I guess I just want to see more from the skill positions, especially at wide receiver. I need I need something more from – I know you have the Kendrick Bourne, who's a good complimentary piece. Nelson Aguilar yeah. can be a fine complimentary piece. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacoby Myers can be a fine complimentary piece. But they need a X receiver. They need a number one. So if they, they'll go out and find it, I mean, they'll be fine still. But I think that's what's kind of separating them – me from seeing like, yeah, I'd put money on them like right now. Also, they don't have an offensive coordinator. That's their offensive coordinator. Brian, what else can what 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 will we be seeing tomorrow, Brian, on Football Outsiders? Well, tomorrow we have the uh the Dynasty of Mediocrity. Up today we have the list of DVOA underachievers to go along with the this overachiever list. So the teams that uh, we that that most underperformed, what we thought. The Ravens are not number one. The Ra- despite all their injuries, the Ravens are only number two. There's a team that did worse than having all of their players get hurt. That Who is be- it? Because the New easy. York Football Giants, the brain trust oh. of Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, did n- did not produce a winning team. By the way, folks, <laughs> you can also check out. Go ahead, J- JP. Sorry. No, I was just I was just laughing at Joe Judge and the Giants. Continue. <laughs> you you're, you're you're in trouble here. You're going from Retro Caldwell to Joe Judge. You're gonna it's got like Joker venom. You're gonna be like uh, as fixating. You're gonna be laughing so hard when this is over. I'm gonna laugh for like 30 minutes off screen. When this is done. <laughs> <laughs> JP, where can folks find you? Uh, find me on Twitter at Acosta32 underscore JP. I write for Football Outsiders. I'm doing a lot of cool draft stuff. For SB Nation's Big Cat Country. I got a pretty cool thing coming out, scouting some of the top three edge prospects in the draft. And I'll just be sharing my thoughts on football, anime, Disney stuff. Just follow along, see where I'm going. I'm also at Northwestern, so if you want to follow some of my work there, I think I'm pretty good at writing sometimes and talking about football. So 
if you try and follow me. Excellent. So happy April Fool's Day, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Don't forget to like and share and leave a five-star review if that's a thing. It sounds like it's a thing you can do the podcast, et cetera. Really appreciate it. I will be back on Tuesday with Derek Klassen and Russ Landy, and we'll be talking some NFL draft then. And then next Thursday, hopefully, Aaron will be back from vacation so that we don't train wreck another podcast here. So (laughs) on behalf of Brian, on behalf of JP, on behalf of the entire Football Outsiders and Edge Sports team, thanks for watching. See you again soon.